0: Free Your Inner Guru is a listener-supported show. Supporting the podcast is also designed to support you by keeping the episodes free of ads, but also with rewards for your donation like the Free Your Inner Guru guidebook, a private listener forum, and live monthly Q&A sessions. To become a supporting member, you can visit patreon.com forward slash Free Your Inner Guru. Welcome to the Free Your Inner Guru podcast. I'm your host, Laura Tucker. Today's episode is an interview with Ivanka Solkowski. Ivanka is a former elementary school teacher whose life was transformed when she began learning the many benefits of minimalism and organization. At a time when she was struggling with her mental health, Ivanka was given Marie Kondo's book The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up as a joke present. Reading it led her on a journey of exploration of the relationship between decluttering and mental health. Ivanka is now a KonMari-certified professional organizer who brings compassion and insight into her clients' homes. Enjoy this interview where we talk all things environment, decluttering, and share the story of each of our journeys from the classroom into our respective purpose-built businesses. Welcome to Free Your Inner Guru, Ivanka. I'm so excited about this juicy conversation that we are going to have.
1: Oh, me too. Thank you for having me today.
0: Oh, it's my pleasure. So Ivanka, we were just talking before we got on here um, about a number of areas that we can explore together. And we have some common background experience, which is uncanny and probably suitable. So I would love for the audience here to be all curious about what that is. And maybe you could take us into your story of how you became um, a professional organizer and your association with Marie Kondo and all that. But even depending on how you want to weave it, I'd love to hear about your days as a teacher because that's what we share.
1: Yes, definitely. So it actually all started around the time that I was a teacher because I was going through some mental health struggles, and I realized that, you know, I wasn't able to control my own thoughts, um, having been diagnosed with uh, depression, anxiety, and OCD, actually, all in a short amount of time. And, you know, as a human, you want to be able to control some aspect of your life. And when you're not able to control your thoughts, there aren't really many other options. So when I realized that the only option I had was to control my outer surroundings in order to bring myself peace. I started doing that in my home. And then I started implementing that in my classroom as well, which was turning out to be great for a lot of my students who were suffering from anxiety, and even those who weren't. I was seeing the correlation between organization and developmental growth, which was such a phenomenal thing to see.
0: What age did you teach so that we can kind of tune into that developmental stage that that the bulk of your students would have been at?
1: Yes, I was teaching... At the time that I realized this, I was teaching a grade seven and eight split um, with thirty-three students, and then from there, I taught grade five for a few years. So those were the age groups that I that I was seeing um, benefiting from this this minimalistic approach to the classroom, you know, not having a lot of posters on the wall. And don't get me wrong, my first year of teaching, I was that teacher who bought it all. I thought, you know, this is what you have to do. You have to have posters everywhere. Say this, that, and the other thing, and decorations. And like my first year classroom was a disaster. Looking back, I kind of laugh at myself. But um, near the end of, my, of, well, the end of my teaching career, <laughs> but uh, b- right before I, I received information about Marie Kondo, um, my classroom was night and day from that from that first year, and it was, you know, not a lot of things on the walls, not a lot of things on my desk. My desk only had what I was working on, and then at the end of the day, it went away. And staying with my students, we didn't have you know, old lunches at the back of their desks or hiding in their lockers. We cleaned those out all the time. and it was a a routine that we implemented on a daily basis. and it it was a calming, safe environment for not only myself, but my students and They talked about that all the time. And even the staff talked and joked about it. You know, let's go eat lunch in Ivanka's room because we can eat off the floor. And it got to a point where the joke went so far as someone giving me Marie Kondo's book, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up, as a joke. Saying, oh, I saw this book at the bookstore. It made me think of you. Ha ha. And so I read it because it was a free book. And then in in my moments of Googling who this woman was and what her story was, she opened the first ever course of organization. And it was in New York. And so I thought, oh, that's about an hour flight from Niagara, where I'm originally from. And I thought, I'll be home for the summer. I could do this because I was living in Saskatoon at the time, or sorry, in Alberta at the time. And so I signed up. And the rest is kind of history. I went to the course. I fell in love. and. In a way, I'm I'm still teaching. I'm just not teaching in the traditional classroom sense, but I work a lot with families and with students and children in their spaces and helping people just kind of go through their daily life and find what's holding them back from living the life they want to be living and then taking that and eliminating the roadblocks to help them move forward and just live a joyful existence. And so... In
0: the in the work that you're doing, it sounds to me like you're bringing that same sense of routine and structure, or at least introducing it into the environment, because you don't stay with them for ten months out of the calendar year like you would have with your grade fives and sevens and eights. Um, Correct. um, But what I love about this is that even before somebody gave you that book, that's what you had become known for. You had gone through that transformation of your own accord and for your own um, wellness and sense of well-being would you say that's a fair statement to make
1: i would say it's a very fair statement i mean at the time my life literally depended on it i i had an attempt of suicide and i was in the hospital and you know my life as i knew it was over you know waking up on the floor and saying great like i could now i'd suicide to my long list of life's failures wasn't exactly it, it's funny because it it wasn't a wonderful moment, but looking back, it was the most wonderful moment because that was the beginning of everything. You know, when you've hit rock bottom and even gone further down, there's really only one way and that's up.
0: Are you comfortable talking about that a little bit further as far as, you know, when things changed for you or what that all meant for you in your journey?
1: Sure. Definitely. I think, I think talking about it is very important because when I was first diagnosed in 2004, no one talked about it. And this, I think this is why I struggled as long as I did. And, you know, it was just Ivanka, don't stop being a baby. Stop being a whiner. Stop being sad. Just be happy. Brush it off. Like all those silly cliche things that people say, you know, it's all in your head. Just get over it. Um, that actually makes a person worse. And so talking about it now, I do a lot of um, public talks about mental health and the correlation between, you know, having a decluttered space and finding your own inner peace and sense of Zen, because I really believe that it it works because it's worked for me. Like I couldn't have been worse off in my life than I was. And now I'm in a totally different place. And it's not because of medications and being pumped with drugs and things like that. And because I've tried. I've done so many different treatments, some that aren't that didn't even make it to market because I was a guinea pig. Um and a lot of all drugs, and I'm not saying that drugs do not work. I'm saying for me, they did not. I tried many combinations. I know that for a lot of people they do work. And and that is a blessing because if it's as simple as, you know, popping a pill every day and you're fine, then that's great. I say, I say go for it. For me, it wasn't working. I was very, I was always either very tired or I was nauseous all the time or passing out or physically actually throwing up. And I thought, well, this isn't a life either. And that, that made me more depressed. And so, you know, when I'm having a rough day, I can come home to my home and my house, my house isn't perfect. I I live life. I go through rough days where you know, I had a long day, I throw my clothes on the floor, just like anyone else. But the beauty of this system is that I can take two minutes out of every day if I'm having a rough day and put it all away. Everything has a home. There's order in my home. There's a routine that helps me get through the tough stuff, um, which is, which I didn't think existed in this world. So, you know, if, if there are people who are struggling and, and meds aren't working, I would highly recommend... Just trying it out, getting rid of stuff because in society today, we we are kind of hammered with consumerism, you know, especially in the social media world. Buy this and you'll be happy. Get this and you'll get these results. And even though we know deep down it's not true, we do it. We fall for it. And I think it wasn't until I started because I used to be an emotional shopper, you know, bad day, go buy something. Sad, sad day, go buy something. Happy day, go buy something. <laughs> It was any emotion I was feeling, I would just go buy something. And that was physically and emotionally and mentally weighing me down. Once I started getting rid of that and started practicing minimalism, it was like my world completely changed. And I feel like a physical weight has been lifted off my body and my mind. When we were
0: having our uh, preparation call for this interview, I shared with you something that long-time listeners of the show and people who know me and my work, they will be resonating already because I've been known to say over and over again, that environment always wins. Mm -hmm. And what you're describing really aligns with that, especially in the physical environment. But since everything is interconnected, it's not much of a stretch to say that what you do in your physical environment influences your mental environment. So thank you for sharing that because you have, you have such a, a powerful story around it from lived experience. When you found Marie Kondo and her work, what was that like for you? Did you gobble it all up because it was in tune? Did you find that you still bring your own approach? Um, her work has, I got the book, when it came out because of my interest in environment and and read it and set it aside it's still on my shelf but there's been a resurgence with the Netflix show tidying up so yes you know seeing her and her approach is more accessible than ever and I'm I'm wondering you know what aspect of of you do you bring into the work and how do you how do you make it your own or do or do you is it or is it a system that is so reliable that This is what you advocate.
1: It's funny because what I loved about the book is I laughed at almost every third page because those were already things that I was doing. So she wrote this book, but she admits in the very first beginnings of the book, first couple of pages, that this book was, these aren't all her ideas. These are, she researched a bunch of different ideas. And she just compiled a bunch of the best ones in her mind. So things like shoeboxes and drawers to organize your belongings. I mean, we did that. My mother did that for us when we were children. We didn't grow up in a, in a family that, you know, could afford $3 a box to go for, you know, container store, let's go. You know, there were three kids, we had other priorities. And so, but my mother was very organized and she taught us that. So different things like, like putting a shoe box in a drawer to organize your underwear it made me giggle. Cause as a teenager, my mother would do it. And I'd, you know, I'd be a teenager like, ah, oh, ma, like it's so embarrassing. What are you doing? And not that anyone was seeing this, but you know, that's how teenagers react. Um, and no, things like, they don't. <laughs> yeah, it's true, true story. <laughs> I was the worst. I'll admit it, uh, which is why I <laughs> love working right there with, with, with you <laughs> now in the home. I love working with teenagers because I, I know I was the worst one and now I can, I can see there's a light at the end of the tunnel. there, But, uh, yeah, a lot of what she wrote in the book were things that I was already doing. There were things I did not know about the folding. The folding was probably the most mind-blowing thing for me. Folding in thirds and stacking things vertically so that you can see everything. Like I, I don't know how. I had never seen this before, but doing that and the folding of the socks, that was probably the most mind-blowing thing of anything. Um, and I love, I loved her framing of... You know, we're not talking about what we want to get rid of from our lives because that has a negative connotation. It's, it's already like we're talking about removing things from our lives that's negative. She's talking about putting the focus on what you want to keep. What are the things you want to surround yourself with? The whole spark joy phrase, like people laugh at the, that wording. But I mean, it, it is. Does it spark joy? Do you feel this sense of, oh my gosh, I can't wait to you know wear this again or use this again or what have you? And that, that change of mindset really, really helped me because I was always thinking about what can I get rid of to make my life easier? But instead, I should have been focusing on what should I be keeping to make my life better and happier?
0: Oh, what a critical point,
1: hey? And then the rest is, is what goes, right? And, and that kind of, that blew my mind, so to speak, and from there, I mean, when I work with clients now, there are things, you know, that North Americans do that because this book was written with the Japanese culture in mind a lot, a lot of it. And we here in Canada do not live in tiny apartments for the family of five, or you know, so there, there are different just cultural differences that that we need to implement and take into account when working with clients here. Um. So I definitely throw in my own spin on things where I see fit. I also, Marie doesn't talk much about working with children. Um, And having myself been a teacher and having a master's of education in child psychology, I work with children a lot. So I thought, well, why don't I create a program that's targeted towards working with children? And so that's when I created the Moose Method. And so I implement Marie's style of work in combination with my own. And it's basically whatever the client wants because there's no one right answer for everyone. And I think if anyone reads her book and it's expecting it like to be 100% going to fix their life, that's not really how this works. There are bits that you pull out that work for you and that's when it's going to be most successful.
0: And don't you find that like many other areas of change or growth, it's it's what it's doing what you can sustain as far as what the routines are around that?
1: Correct, correct. But what I will say, and when I say taking bits and pieces, I don't mean only doing half the categories and hoping the rest of your life is going to work out. I'm saying, you know, in order to, for this to be successful, you have to do all of the categories in, in total, in full, And so those categories are working on clothing first, then books and papers, then kimono, which is um, the miscellaneous items. So things like kitchen area, sporting goods, that kind of thing. And then sentimental items, finally. Doing them, all of those categories in that order are very vital to making sure that this system isn't just a one-week fix. What I see happen is if someone wants to do just clothing and they're like, no, no, I'm fine and they don't do all the categories, they end up falling back into old routines. So I will say doing all of them is very important. What I'm saying when I talk about not doing every little thing, what I mean by that is, you know, for, for myself personally, the whole emptying the purse at the end of every day, she talks about that in her book. I don't do that because I just don't have time. But I do do it at the end of every week, so it does get done. But it, that's kind of my thing. And, and I don't carry a big purse. I carry a tiny, a tiny bag because I know if I have a big purse, I'll fill it with stuff that I don't need. So I, I, very, I learned very quickly to get rid of all my big purses because that was doing me no favors in life. Um, but I'm talking about little things like that. There are little approaches that may or may not work for some people and some that will work worlds ahead of others for different things, if that makes sense. It does. Now, is there a reason why sentimental items are last? Definitely. Because if you started with sentimental items, you would hit an emotional wall immediately and just not want to do anything else. Just think about those times when you're going through your closet and you find an old photo album. Well, good luck. The rest of your day is done because you're now flipping through that photo album. You're either crying or smiling or going through this whirlwind of emotions. Um, and if you started with that, instead of doing something as easy as clothing that already has a large turnover, then you are in for not a fun trip. I will tell you that right away. Especially if there's been some sort of um, tragic event in your family. Uh, for example, my mom passed away. If I tried starting off with all my mother's belongings, good luck. This would not have gone well at all. And I I, I know that for sure. It seems to me
0: um, there's a certain level of discernment that is getting cultivated through the entire process. I've, I've watched a few of the tidying up episodes on Netflix first as a bit of a joke, to be honest, but then mm-hmm. as I, at, there were a few things that I, um, that I found super interesting just based on my perspective on, of growth and change. And, and I saw that, you know, this, th- this practice of discernment is critical to, the clearing of the clutter and the possessions. And so it. I guess what it is is that if you're starting with clothes, like you said, that have a t- higher turn um, rate anyways, mm-hmm. it's easier. Um, yes. And so it's like a muscle, like that muscle discernment that strengthens over time. Right, exactly. And then you get to practice before taking on the, emotionally charged stuff
1: and even like with something like books and papers we don't start that first either because that's also that's a different kind of heavy you know looking at your tax papers and all that that's not emotional but it's not fun but it does need to get done so those things that's why that one is second with with the books as well so there's there is a method to the madness and if if done properly it is i I can attend test. Like I'm not saying that, you know, someone once called me one of her disciples. And I, I kind of took offense to that. because hey, I'm a religious, like I'm Catholic, and I thought, well, that's a bit a bit much, but also because like it it's something that works. So it does I'm not saying that it's going to solve all of life's problems and that it's perfection. This woman should be put on a pedestal. I'm saying that this method works. Read the book and implement what you need to in your life to make your life better. That's about as far as it goes for me. I'm I'm not someone who's going to say this is the be all end all, but I, I can vouch for someone in such in who started off at such a low spot in her life to where I am now running my own business. A lot of it was attributed to this one book and this in this process of compiling different methods that work for organization. And most importantly I would say practicing gratitude. Because practice a lot of this book talks about thanking your items before you discard them. So practicing gratitude, so being grateful for what we have in our lives and not always wanting more. That is what a lot of stress in our life is attributed to, is always wanting the next best thing and not worrying about all the things we have right now. And you know, when you're practicing gratitude, you can't be in another state. You can't be angry, sad, wanting for more. You can only be in the state of I am here now in this moment and I am grateful for all that is around me, for all that I have and all that I am. And that is something that can take you anywhere you want to go, I would say.
0: And it's taking you, like having that gratitude has you present to your current state, right? Like your current, what what you have right now, Correct. you know, right down to if I was practicing gratitude right now, I would be thinking about how grateful I am to be having this conversation with you, not about the 18 different things that I need to get done before I make dinner this evening. Correct. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's, it's kind of backing our way into um, mindfulness around, around all of this stuff.
1: Yes. 1000%.
0: Yeah, so let's let's riff on that for a little bit. And what I was thinking about while I was listening to you was that when you are going through this system that sort of graduates you from from the more easily discardable, although I bet you all people people will probably get stuck in clothes, you know, and then it would or paper. But these are also signs of um of potential mental health issues too and and yes very much so I bring that forward because because of where the conversation started, but also you 've reminded me of some of the patterns in my family around paperwork uh, i 'll be specific around my father around paperwork and taxes and things like that getting out of hand um, was like a it was both a consequence and a symptom of some very severe mental health challenges.
1: I see that a lot.
0: Yeah, it becomes overwhelming even in and of itself. So it becomes its own thing.
1: It's funny that you say your father because my father also, my mother was the notoriously tidy one to the point where we, when we vacuumed our carpet, we had to make sure that those lines were straight. (laughs) You know, the (laughs) vacuum lines that you see on the, it was, it was that, it was that extreme in our house. But if my father is on the opposite spectrum of loving, collecting magazines, paperwork, all of these things. And when my mother passed away five years ago, she passed away of breast cancer. I, I knew she did a lot in the house, obviously. I didn't realize how much until she was gone. And I'll go home and visit my, my father. And I, I see the accumulation of things. And I know that it, it has mental health or lack thereof, I guess, um, implications because a lot of it is, you know, just holding on to something because he couldn't hold on to the one thing he wanted. And that was my mother, you know, so it's, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to keep the things, the other things that make me happy because I can, but that's, that's a slippery slope to go down.
0: Yeah. It's like control and fear operating mm-hmm. at the same time
1: mm-hmm. or lack and of it control. Is. It well exactly, and it and it is, like I've said, it it is a weight that is that is put on you because now it's it's like a mental and physical blocker. These things do add up; they take up space, and you're sitting amongst all this stuff all the time, and that's going to have implications on your health, both mental and and otherwise.
0: One of the thoughts I have on this is that we all have. A certain amount of energy to manage. And mm-hmm. some days we have, may have more, some days we have less, but the the stuff that's hanging around you might just think of it as an extra water bottle or two or an extra book or two. And trust me, I love books. Anyone who's seen the inside of my office knows there's, ha- there's half of what there were behind me, but um, it's that Comfort that things bring, but at the same time, they are they are distracting you from um, a clean, um, clutter-free mental state as well. So if we think of it as everything has energy and it's either giving you energy or taking it away, I find that a very um an easy way to explain this dynamic to people. Um how does that relate to what you see when you're in people's homes, which is a very intimate experience? And you're helping them to to discern what they're going to keep that's going to make them feel good and spark joy, to coin the phrase. Um, And then as they're letting go of things that they may or may not feel attachment to.
1: Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things that I love about working with all my clients is that every client is different. And within the first 10 minutes, I, I can tell what their spark joy items are just by the energy of you know how they feel when they're around them i can tell i i don't know if the viewers right or the listeners right now can see your books but i can see them and they're put on a shelf and they're very beautifully organized with colors and just the image of that and when you were talking about it your face lit up and that's a spark joy item for you for me books are you know and a sense of information and when i read a book i've either You know, absorb the information, or I haven't. Regardless, the book kind of goes. My book collection is down to ten, or I think I think I even got rid of a few the other day. So it's it's less than ten. But the ones that I kept, I read over and over. It's not it's not a joy thing. It's more of a I need to refer back to this. They're mostly business books, and I have one spark joy book, and it's Charlotte's Web from when I was a child. But for me, that's a different energy. I have some clients who, when you talk books, they would. They, they would love to have wall, floor to ceiling, all full walls of books. And that's okay because that's their joy. But as soon as I see that these items are weighing someone down and not lifting them up, that's when they need to go. Because you might think you like books, but when you walk into a certain room that has books piled up you know, just on the floor and things like that, I'm sorry to say that's not a love of books. If you love books, you would be displaying them like you are in your office over there. A love of books is not, you know, 10 under the bed, some on the top of the toilet, some in the shower, some under a couch. That's not proving to me that you love books. That is more of a, you know... I don't want to label this as like a mental health thing, but as as there's like there's a trigger there there's something that you're holding on to that isn't the book itself, and we need to get to the bottom of that. I don't know if that makes sense
0: it hundred percent does, and I think you've earned the right through your experience to talk about mental health issues by the way, so we can take that here so um, when you were talking, I was thinking it's it's not the books in that case, and I love the way that you put that so succinctly um, because I I do hear what you're saying about the display and 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 to be honest I just redid this office in over the Christmas holidays because it was getting out of control we live in a small city house I work from the home and mm-hmm. ironically I let go of some of the books that I had been holding on to for 22 years since I left teaching some of my wow. favorites and so I was keeping them with sentimental attachment. And then I was like, okay, but really, are they serving me now in this space? And who can I pass them on to that might be able to get the same amount of joy that I used to using them with the kids?
1: That's exactly it. It's about passing it along to someone for whom it can bring more joy than you're feeling now. And isn't that a wonderful feeling? Even as you were talking about that, your face lit up talking about passing along that joy. So it, it's not to negate that it brought you joy at one point. And it's not going to take a, the memories away. And that's one of the things that I love to explain to my clients. You know, just because you're giving these books away doesn't mean that experience didn't happen. Or when I'm when we're going down the sentimental road, I realize I have a, I now have a small drawer of my mother's belongings that I kept. But I realized one day it was as if I just woke up and th- thought, why do I have, why do we still have her full closets two years later of her clothes? My mother was someone who gave back to the community and to the poor. And this was her life, her life's work all the time. So why are we holding on to clothes that aren't going to bring her back? Because they're not. And they're not going to make us forget about her if we do give them away. And we gave them away to Salvation Army because she did a lot of work with the Salvation Army as a teacher. She was also a teacher in a, in a poorer school. And it was that, that was what those clothes needed to do to bring someone else joy. And that was in a way, not us letting go of our mother, but of letting go of the stuff that we didn't need to hang on to.
0: That's beautiful. Um, When I was clearing out the office with the double or more volume of books, what's here right now, um, I was taking them to a, a bookstore down in the East End of the city that that takes and resells and shares. I was giving some away, but uh, but there were just too many to to keep doing that. I would have worn out and stopped. Well, when they saw me coming or me and my husband coming with carrying these boxes of books, <laughs> they were, you know, and I would walk across the street to the um the Indigo store just to go and see what's new. I was like, Holy crap. I just gave those books over there <laughs> They're yeah. still on the shelf. No wonder they were happy, <laughs> but it, it really was. And I, I felt really good about that. And from not just from the point of view of un, the unloading and the passing along and even some of it was unburdening, but I also was indirectly like I wasn't bringing them to a church basement or to a, a giveaway, but I was helping a small business, a local small business.
1: Also true, yeah. I didn't. I've never even thought about it that way. I help my clients, you know, drop things off. But I'm saying, I I thought of it as you know giving back. I never, in the three years that I've been doing this job, I've never thought of it as I am helping a local business. Mm-hmm. So you've just opened my eyes to that because you know, it it's very true.
0: Yeah, and that means a lot to me because I I mean my clients, well, many of them are local business, so it's. Mm-hmm this full circle flow of possessions and energy. And in the meantime, everybody's feeling lighter. Yes. That seems like a great place to kind of can pick up the thread of mindfulness in this practice. Um, I hope you don't mind that I keep referring back to the Netflix, but I think when people listen to us, I would love it if they either went and read that book. And I understand you have a book. So I'll have you tell us about that as well. And the fact that things like this are coming out on Netflix more and more is fantastic because of the reach. Um, Before she started, starts working Marie Kondo. um, She's like like this tiny little Sprite um, Mm -hmm. who goes into these people's home. And, uh, and it looks like most or all of the homes are in, in California or Southern California, but she goes in and before she starts working, she sits down or kneels down and she does her own thing. Yes. What's that about? I have, my, I have my assumptions, but this is a great opportunity for me to ask somebody who probably has some insight into it.
1: The story behind that is the gratitude uh, that I, I was mentioning earlier. So what she does is she finds a space in the home. And we all do this when we go in. I don't do it as obviously as that. I don't stop the clients from, um, you know, telling me their story or whatever we we don't all take a moment together um partially because i'm not a tiny japanese woman and culturally it would just look a little bizarre like even in, in the show you can see people are they're uncomfortable but there's a comfort level because she is japanese so they understand that there's something happening that is different from what they know but if let's say i were to do that you know a tall giant catholic woman it's a bit it's a bit different because that's not how we practice things here in Canada. So I do it, just not um, as obviously as that, but sorry for that going down that little rabbit hole there. But what she's doing is she is taking a moment to say thank you to the home for housing this, this family and for bringing them security and safety and allowing us, meaning her and the clients together, to work on finding their more joyous life together moving forward in this home so it's along those lines and she walks around and she'll the reason at the beginning she walks around and doesn't choose the same kind of spot every time is because she feels a certain energy in different areas of the room and i have done this as well i used to when i started doing this i would just do that take that moment before i knocked on the client's door i would look at the home i would stand on it so anyone who has the nest Mm. camera He was watching me just stare at the door for a few minutes before I ring the doorbell, but um, I would stand and do it there. And now I do it kind of as we're working. Once I'm walking around the house, I can feel a certain energy in certain areas of the home. And I'll just pause there and I will just take a few moments, you know, close my eyes so to not be disturbing to what is going on in the process. But um, a lot of us consultants—I can't speak to everyone to say that everyone does it, but I know a lot of us do practice that. Again, it's practicing gratitude and being in the moment.
0: And it's—it seems like making—it's um, a—it's a bit of a—and we'll be careful. We're both in my my background is Catholic as well, but um, so I when I initially started bringing in uh, the word ceremony and even to go further ritual into my coaching it was uncomfortable at first but this strikes me like this is this is an a, a small ceremony that gets performed in order to set the space or or move to the next level
1: correct correct and it's not about it's not a religious thing it's not a like she's not trying to push any of her beliefs onto anyone Mm-mm. It, it's literally like no matter who you are in this world, what, whether what whether you believe in in God or whomever or spirits or energy or you know, there are so many different beliefs that none of that matters. We should all be grateful for being here, no matter no matter who you believe in in the end. And this is I've, I've talked about this quite a lot because I'm very open about my Catholicism and I'm I'm very religious and spiritual person, but that is me. I don't. I don't know what happens when we die. So why am I going to argue with someone about it right now? I think that's the, I, I'm going to be very blunt here. I think that's the silliest thing to argue about religion. It's one of the silliest things I've ever heard. I'm a very strong believer in what I believe, but that does not mean that I'm going to treat someone else differently because they have a different belief. Because when we find out, we'll all be dead. <laughs> and then it won't matter anymore. Again, that's very blunt, but you know, and. And well, it'll so- all be the same. It'll, it'll all be the same. And and at that point, it's not, you know, whatever happens, happens. But I think the one thing that we should all have in common is that we should be grateful for that which we have been given all of our blessings in this world. As I sit here in my closet, I'm just looking out into my room. It's kind of funny. I've never been in my closet before, but the sound in here is better. So I've never looked at my bedroom from this angle but I'm sitting here looking and saying, you know, thank you that I have a bed that I can sleep on, something that we take for granted every day. Thank you that I have a dresser to put my clothes in. Thank you for this plant that is purifying my air. Like it's it's little things that some people these are luxuries that many in this world do not have. So we need to take the time to be grateful, and that has nothing to do with any sort of religion. It has to do with being human. Absolutely, and thank you for that. Um, I think. Having people
0: listening and, and, you know, to almost point back to the other end of the spectrum where you and I both have experience um, with having, in my case, a depressed, depressed state, um, your case with full-blown depression, when the mind is out of control, those are the furthest thoughts away Mm -hmm. and so bringing them in as a daily practice it it, it's it's to me it's both it edifying and you know they say you know gratitude and 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 sort of being in that energy of, of gratitude and the vibration around it is is very positive and it the feeling you know, lifts us up, but it also enables us to be kinder and gentler on ourselves, kinder, and more compassionate to other people. Um, mm-hmm. and and like what you just said, those are all principles that are cross-cultural and, and cross cross-religion. So at, at the yes. end of the day, these these when something really catches on like this, it's because it's finding a, a broader audience and people are having lived experiences of it.
1: Yes. And it, it makes, it made me both happy and sad watching uh, Marie Kondo do her, you know, media tours afterwards because she's going on all the late shows where, I mean, their job is to poke fun at things. I get it. Mm -hmm. But in the moment, in the moments where she was saying, like doing the closing of your eyes, practicing gratitude, thanking the space. I mean, people were going to town on this with, with the humor. And at first it was funny. And then I realized, isn't it sad that For us to be grateful for the things that we have, we find that to be embarrassing and humorous. And that is what our society has become. Instead of just embracing it and saying, you know what? Yes, thank you that I'm a TV show host and I've got my dream job and I'm loving what I'm doing and I have the world at my fingertips. Instead, it's like, let's laugh about it because this is my God-given right (laughs) and, and like I said, their job is to make fun of things. That's what they do. But I'm just using those as an example because she's been to fine a lot for this, this particular practice. Um, but it, it's, just, it's just funny to me that a lot of us feel uncomfortable at the thought of, of being grateful for things in the moment. And it's something that I won't lie. I, the first time I read the book and it said, you know, thank your shirts, I giggled. But my mindset has completely changed once I started to do it. And now I don't shop as much because I realized, well, I already have things. I did a year of no shopping last year, not shopping at all. Oh, I was hoping this would come up. Oh, it was, it was, that was life changing because I realized how much I actually had. And I got rid of more than I ever have. And there was nothing coming in. And it really, really made me appreciate the things that i own especially in this city i mean we live in toronto the the amount of homeless people in this city is very high and it's very sad and it breaks my heart now when i when i walk by one of them on the street like i will i will collect things from clients that may not make it to donations and i'll walk around and i'll give it to the people on the streets of toronto because you know the donation place won't take it because it has a hole but you know how grateful the person who's only has one t-shirt living on the street it's going to be for this item and it really puts things in perspective that we can live in the same city as someone who sleeps on a sidewalk and go back to our homes and think that practicing gratitude is a silly concept.
0: For someone who's heard that you didn't buy anything for a year and finds that shocking or extreme, um, what was that like?
1: Was it hard? Yes. At first it was very difficult because like I said, I was an emotional shopper, even though I started on the minimalism road. Um, once I started doing this whole Marie Kondo thing and I should, I should side note that the Marie Kondo, the KonMari method is not a minimalistic approach. I just combined it. I took it to the next level. So I just want to be clear on that. So people aren't thinking that reading her book is going to make them minimalists, you know, living in a tiny house in a field somewhere. That's not what the purpose of that is, but just for me personally, I took it to the level of minimalism. So then in year two of this, doing this job and going into homes and seeing just the excess of that everyone has, myself included, this is not a judgment. This is, I live in a, in a two bedroom apartment in in Toronto and, you know, I fill up all the stuff, all the space with my stuff, which is silly because I'm one person. And uh, I always use like the purse analogy, the bigger the purse, the more stuff stuff in it, just like the bigger the home. You have a large home, you're going to fill it just because it's the nature of the beast. I have a larger apartment than I've usually had, so I've been filling it. So when I had a chance to look around, I thought, okay, Ivanka, no more. No more consuming. You have more than enough, like way more than enough. I think at the time I had over 100 pairs of shoes um, for one person. And so I thought, "I'm I'm going to try to do... I, in my mind, I said, I'm going to try, I'm using the air quotes right now, but you can't see me doing it, but I'm going to try and see how far I can go. The first month was a little bit difficult. I, I said, I can't go to the mall at all. Don't, don't do it because the temptation is there and you have zero willpower. This is not a smart idea, but to be completely honest, the longer it went on, the less I wanted to shop. It's now been over a year because it's now April. I did this from um, January to January. Um, the whole 2018. Um, and when I go into a mall, I actually, and this is, again, this is not a phrase of judgment, but I get disgusted walking through a mall, watching people rifling through racks and piles of clothes on the, and walking with tons of bags. And it actually has this weird physical effect on me where I almost have an anxiety attack watching this.
0: Well, you're incompatible with it.
1: And yeah, it's, it's, it's as if I've become allergic now. I think in, in, since, since my year of no shopping has come up, I, the only thing I've purchased, I purchased a dress for something that I had to, an event I had to go to. And I purchased a fanny pack for work because I found that I didn't have enough pockets for like my screwdriver and all the little things I needed when I'm working with clients. Um, so those are the only two things I've purchased, and those were things that I I needed for what for what I was doing. And the dress I actually didn't end up wearing; I returned it because I realized I have dresses. What what am I doing? <laughs> um, but it's completely changed my my mindset on consumerism, and not only that, just talking about the environmental impacts. I've now gone down this environmental kick. I was always you know a bit of a tree hugger in the sense, um, but not to this extreme, and this year of no shopping really opened my eyes to the environmental impacts that the uh, clothing industry has on our environment. It it just makes me so sad to see what we are doing to our environment because of fast fashion alone.
0: It sounds to me like this entire journey has been one of um, become one of self awareness, but now has broadened out to more um, societal and, and global awareness.
1: It definitely has. And these are all things that I wouldn't have expected in a million years. Um,
0: Maybe that's what happens to us when we start stop letting our stuff to be in charge.
1: Right. And when you let go of something, you're making room for something else. I didn't realize that the something else that was coming in was from- far greater than tangible items, physical belongings. It was, it was a feeling and is continu- continuously being this feeling of at, I I don't even know how to say it, of just spiritual awareness of who I am in in the sense of me as a human. And you can get like the scientific, it doesn't have to be spiritual in the religious sense. I mean in the scientific, like I am a, a living being on earth what do I need to survive and what are all these other things and why are they here? They're, they're literally building walls around the things that I need to survive. If you're a visual person like myself, picture yourself in a field and you have like air coming towards you, you have proper health coming towards you, you have all these things that you need to survive coming towards you and you've built up a wall of shoes or a wall of pile of clothes that are, is blocking these things from getting in and preventing you from living your best life. And then you start removing these things and you're making room for things like love and proper health, eating habits. My gosh, the amount of clients who have told me that their eating habits changed after doing the decluttering festival, we call it. it it's mind-blowing because the two really don't have anything to do with one another, if you think about it. But they, they actually do very much so because now you have time to cook better meals, healthier meals. Your shopping habits have changed for groceries as well. You know, you couldn't maybe afford that six dollar pineapple or whatever before, but you bought ten bags of chips that were four dollars a piece. Like, well, wait a second. Let's let's revisit what we're spending our money on and make better choices.
0: Well, and that's what happens when um, principles that work they tend to transfer mm-hmm. and well beyond environments just like um oh well two former teachers talking on a podcast the skills that we had and brought to and then developed in the classroom and through that education journey transferred I'm assuming in both cases very well to business and life and obviously I mean I remember back when when I made that big change in my life, I had a lot to learn yet, but it was all about transferable skills and, and making, changing one environment at a time. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that just for, for a moment to come full circle on this, um, because I think as a lot of uh, people who listen to this podcast will be business owners or, or leaders in business, um, when you left teaching, You know, for me, this is, it's a long time ago now, but the reason that I left wasn't about teaching and it wasn't about the kids. It was about timing and the economy and the availability of jobs for at that time, a primary junior um, teacher. And there was surplus. Yes. And I, I, I'm so grateful for it now. Although that's when I had my, one of my depressive episodes was that anything that I was trying to do just wasn't working in that environment and none of it was in my control. Yeah. But it taught me that I'm but I do not thrive in a union environment that's tightly controlled by the government in certain cycles. Mm-hmm. Um and I think you had a somewhat similar experience. So I'd love to talk about that because I think there's probably something very relevant in our current climate to explore.
1: Uh yes, very much so uh, sadly. So um I graduated with from teacher's college in 2010 and and then there were absolutely no jobs like good luck even thinking about it people thought why are you going into school to do this there are no jobs for you but I did it because I don't like people telling me what to do it was almost out of spite in a way (laughs) um I was a photographer before that so I had graduated from photography and was doing photography for seven years um so then I went into teaching and I graduated and like people warned me, there were no jobs. And so I went and taught in the UK for a year because that was the only thing I could get. Um, that was partially also because Will and Kate happened to be getting married that month. And my parents, I said, I want to go to the royal wedding. My parents said, get a job. So I got a job so I can go to the royal wedding. That's <laughs> um, <laughs> I combined the two. But um, from there, I worked a year there and then I came home. My mother was ill at the time. Um, that was when she got diagnosed with breast cancer. So I came home thinking, okay, I'll try again. I'll try to get a job in, in Ontario again. No luck. Um, Saskatchewan called me. Hey, do you want to come out here and work? Because um, I speak Ukrainian. Ukraine was my first language, and they have a lot of Ukrainian programs out there. So they said, we're looking for a Ukrainian teacher. Would you be interested? I did not want to go. My mother, like I said, my mother was ill. It was not looking good. Um, I said, I don't want to leave. And my mother said, you need a job. She was so excited. My grandmother was born in Saskatchewan and there were all these little signs that were kind of saying, you know, go out there. And I said, like, I've never, what, why am I going out to Saskatchewan? I just want to be here. But she was so excited. I did it. I went and I, I did that. There was, there are politics in the classroom everywhere you go. I learned that very quickly. No matter where you are, like you said, it's not about the kids. I love the kids, and I would do that any day. Even what are, what are quote unquote the worst kids were my favorite because it was no kid is a bad kid. It's their surroundings that make them who they are. So, um, kind of tackling those challenges were were why I was doing what I was doing. And the politics got too much, um, so much so that that was when I attempted suicide. Um, oh, yeah. Um, and I know, looking back now, people say, "Well, what, what were you thinking? You were a teacher. You had a classroom full of kids. Your mother was dying. You had two little nieces and uh, an older niece and nephew. Like you're, you know, you're so selfish." And all I can say is, in those moments, your your mind is not your own. Your thoughts are not your own. Because looking back, I can see why people would say that. But when you are in those moments of nothing I'm doing is working for my life, I'm sending. It's like I'm. It's like I kind of equate it to a paraplegic, you know, I'm, I'm sending the message to my brain for my brain, for my, my limbs to move, but they're not moving kind of the same kind of thing. So I was, I was working as hard as I could work and it wasn't enough. And the principals were telling me I need to work harder. I need to be coaching more sports. I need to be working basically 20 hour days, which calculated to like 13 cents an hour, you know, and you're, you're never doing enough. And you know, you have thirty-three kids in a classroom, four of whom are autistic. One of them with Down syndrome. Ten who can't read above a grade four level, and you're teaching grade seven, eight. Like all of these things with no support. It was there were a lot of other factors, but in short, this was what kind of drove me over the edge. Um, and my mom passed away, and I I came home and I moved home, and again in Ontario, thinking, okay, it's going to be different. Try to get a job now you you can do it like there's got to be you have experience now under your belt you can do it still nothing and i had stayed home with my dad for about 6 months to kind of help around the house and and make sure that his life was like i mean his world just turned upside down he knew my mm-hmm. mother since 6th grade so they they had a a strong bond and i thought i want to be here to be with my family and and not alone during this this difficult time and i mean the government and the teaching and, and all that just didn't allow for that. So I moved out to Alberta. And again, it was just the same kind of thing over and over. Loved the kids. I would take a bullet for those kids any day of the week. Um, gra- gratefully, we live in a country that you don't have to do that. But, you know, it was just I was losing the joy in in what I was doing because everything else was sucking it out of me. And now I found this, this way of being able to work with children and teach and teach adults to a way to make their lives happier and implement systems in their daily life. And so I'm teaching, but I'm doing it on my own terms and it hasn't been easy. I don't, I don't have my dental benefits anymore. You know, I went to the dentist the other day. I almost cried because I said, I'm sorry, it's how much, <laughs> you know, little things you take for granted when you don't realize. Um, but there, there are challenges. There's no question. There are going to be challenges in every aspect of your life, but it's how you learn to deal with those challenges. And I'm, I'm happier now than I've ever been, even with these challenges. So I would say if you're someone who's looking to, to make a change, to find something, live every day doing something you love, figure out a way to make it work. There are going to be ups and downs, but there are ups and downs in everything. So this time it's, it's on your terms
0: well and the freedom of making that decision when it sounds like we both experienced that um very similarly where in a in an institution like education as much as it's about the kids and about the individual it's not about you as a teacher and there's certain cycles that make teachers into commodities and we both hit it yeah. at the same time yes right so when you're in that position where you're a commodity and not a valued professional, then you do have choice and it's not, I'm the first one to say there, the idea of overnight success is largely a myth. You know, we're sold on that as much as the myth that we need to buy and accumulate and always be spending and chase fame and every on and on and on. But there's a journey here and it's very clear now when you say that you're meant to be doing what you're doing and, and there's a certain ease and flow that comes in when you get yourself on your path.
1: Yes, I would agree. 100%.
0: Well, Ivanka, I feel like we could talk the rest of the day away. (laughs) And I'm so, I'm, I'm so excited to share this conversation with our the audience and to share it and you around i want to thank you very very much for coming on here to share your stories to share your experience to share your accumulated wisdom and to also bring some very practical ideas and solutions to the table
1: it was my pleasure thank you again for for bringing me on into your into your beautiful office with your colorful books (laughs) thanks so much
0: Thanks for listening. If you've received benefit from this conversation and you would like to reach Ivanka, she can be found online at tidymoose.com and on Instagram and Facebook at thetidymoose.com. She also has a children's book called The Tidy Moose and an ebook for adults Declutter Your Way to Health, Wealth, and Freedom. I've left links to all of these things in the show notes. And as with every time a serious topic of mental health comes up on the podcast, you'll find links to resources should you need immediate assistance. Thank you for listening to Free Your Inner Guru. I know you have a lot of choice where you receive your inspiration and information. If today's episode resonated with you, I'd be grateful if you would take a few extra seconds for three quick things. First, if there's an idea or story that you know would make a difference in someone else's life, follow the link in the show notes back to our website where you can easily share it with them. Second, subscribe so that you can be part of the ongoing conversation on whatever app or website you're listening on big conversations become the catalyst for meaningful change. If you happen to be listening on iTunes, please take a few moments to leave a rating and a review. The last thing I'll leave you with is that we are building a community of conscious leaders to engage in big conversations and support the Free Your Inner Guru podcast. To find out more, visit patreon.com forward slash freeyourinnerguru or support.freeyourinnerguru.com. Until next time, I'm Laura Tucker signing off for free year inner her guru